First Peter, chapter two, Romans 13 and Matthew five. You all ready? Well, we're going to start anyway. Here we go. First Peter, chapter two. We actually left off in verse 12. How many of you were here last week? OK, um, then verse 12 will be review for you, but I kind of want to use it as our as our jumping off spot this morning. Verse 12 says first Peter, chapter two, verse 12. Uh, Peter, by the way, is speaking to a group of persecuted Christians. The, the things that they're facing is unbelievable. And he's calling them to live a certain way, even in the midst of this, this terrible situation. First Peter, first two or chapter two, verse 12, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles. We saw that to mean actually unbelievers because there were mixed. There was a mixed group that Peter was speaking to. He's talking to Christians. Um, and that's a familiar use of that word. So having your conduct honorable among the unbelievers, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works, which they observe, glorify or shine the spotlight on God in the day of visitation. That was the last verse we looked at last Sunday. And for me, this verse has really captured my attention, my imagination. The word honorable there, it says having your conduct honorable, it means good, right, attractive, winsome. Understand, Peter says to a a group of Christians that are being hunted down, being persecuted like we can't really even imagine, says to them, look, make your conduct so good, so right, so winsome that when notice it says not if. But when they speak against you as evildoers, it just won't ring true. That they'll have to battle their conscience even to to do it, to say that you are an evildoer. We saw it last week, and I kind of feel like we're on to something, so we're we're going along this thing here. Saw last week that your winsome behavior, especially in dark circumstances, will win some. Your winsome behavior will win some to Christ. We saw in in Matthew chapter five that Jesus said much the same thing. Remember the Beatitudes. Blessed are they who blessed are they blessed are. Then he says at the end, blessed are they who are persecuted. Huh? Are you serious? And in that very same context, he says, uh, Matthew five sixteen, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works. Same stuff Peter's talking about and glorify that is shine the light on your father in heaven. Same stuff Peter's talking about. Crazy that, that Jesus would say, happy are you when they persecute you. But here's what he, he's getting at. It's against that backdrop of darkness. That's your chance to shine. Against that very darkness is the thing that's going to make your shining behavior shine all the more. This whole concept has really captured me lately. And it made me think of this. What if. Every Christian. In this room. Every Christian who calls Calvary Chapel of the lakes. His home or her home. What if you made this your motto? The darker it gets. The brighter I want to shine. The darker it gets, the brighter I want to shine or the more rotten it gets, the saltier, more flavorful I want to be. What if we began to not just read the words in verse 12 or 
even be captured by them like I am. Or even just believe in the words. But what if we actually decided to live them? Having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, the unbelievers, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works, which they observe, glorify, shine a spotlight on God in the day of visitation. What if each one of us lived by those words? How long would it be before I think everybody that we come into contact with would have to come face to face with the gospel? Not because we took a course on evangelism, not that those are bad. And, and not because we worked up the courage to talk to someone about our faith. But because no matter what the world says about us. Our behavior, our choices, our conduct was so winsome that it could not be ignored. Maybe you've heard that quote. Preach the gospel every day and when necessary, use words. See, the heart of that is true. There's two things to, to, to know about that phrase. The heart of it is true, right? Lifestyle evangelism is so often what opens the door to lip style evangelism. But there's another thing that's true and you need to know it. Look, if you if you actually live a winsome life, you will need words. You will need words. Words will be necessary. But here's the thing. They won't be cold calls. How many of you are salesmen at heart? OK, um, I am totally not. I was the kind of kid who my, my actually had to have my younger brother go door to door when I was in band. Hey, um, here, you, you sell them. Because I'd be like, hey, you want a you want a candy ball or something? <laughs> Never worked. Totally different from a cold call than someone coming to you and saying, what, what is it about you? What is complete difference? See, guys, we are commanded. The Bible calls us each one of us to make disciples of all men and women. Amen. And if the thought of that cold call scares you to death, well, this is a great place to start. Winsome behavior. So I'm personally looking at the, the, this verse and, and the verses coming up probably over the next few weeks, although we're probably going to take a break for Christmas. But the next time we come back here, I, I think this is going to develop into a series. We're going to call some like lifestyle evangelism or winsome evangelism. See, when Peter wrote this letter, remember, it was open season on all Christians. You might not know this, but if we were his original audience, if the letter had been sent to us and this was back in the day, some of you would be spies. Interesting, we had so many new people come here today. <laughs> no, just kidding. But back in the day, they, they sent. The, the Roman government sent people in to just kind of. Keep tab of what's going on and to look for reasons to accuse reasons that they could justify persecution. All sorts of rumors and lies that were being spread about Christians from their very own meetings. Spies were part of their services. They were using those twist, those words, twisting them to accuse them. Peter says, uh, how do you combat that? I mean, you got but you can't close your doors. Sorry, nobody else is welcome. How do you combat that? Peter says, 
Let your conduct be so beautiful, so right, so winsome that you win some. So today, let's call it lifestyle evangelism for citizens or winsome citizens. Let me ask you, as Americans, how do you win some for Christ? I've got an outline for you. If you're a note taker, here you go. Four S's. In verse 13 and 14, you're going to see Peter uh, admonishes us, encourages us to submit ourselves. Your first word is submit yourself. Verse 13 and 14. Verse 15. The word is silence the ignorant. That sounds fun. Submit yourself, silence the ignorant. Verse 16. Realize you're a slave of God. And verse 17. This is kind of a nice summary. Verse 17, your standard operating procedure or saints operating procedure. Okay, you got it. Submit yourself, silence the ignorant, slave of God and SOP. Here we go. How do you win some Americans to Christ? How do you win some? Let's let's make it, you know, that's kind of broad. How do you win some Lake Countyans? Mount Dorians. How do you win some Tavarians? Eustisians. Leesburgers. <laughs> Village people. <laughs> oh, mercy. <laughs> If you can win the village people, you can win anyone. (laughs) How do you do it? How do you win some for Christ? First step, be submissive. Really? Look at verse 13. Therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. The word ordinance means that which is put in place For order, that which is put in place so that order may be maintained. He's talking about being submissive to civil authorities. Look at it. Verse 13. Therefore, uh, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme or to governors as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. Peter says, submit to those who. In authority. For some of us, he has just said a dirty word. Submission. And some of you are already ahead of me. If you put this in today's context, this is how it reads. Therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the president as supreme or to governors. Senators, congressmen, state troopers, local police, as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. Y'all, now Peter's gone from preaching to meddling. That word submit, it's hupotoso, it's a military word. It means to get in ranks, to line up behind. 
This word was a Greek military term, meaning to arrange in troop divisions um, a military fashion under the command of a leader. Now, listen, in non-military use, it was a voluntary attitude of giving in, cooperating, assuming responsibility and carrying a burden. Please, nobody leave. Hear me out. Peter says to be winsome, you have to be submissive. Wait a second, you say he couldn't. This is the one place in the Bible where it couldn't really mean what it seems to mean. I mean, surely Peter would not mean that. I mean, he had no idea what situation we would be in today. Well, Peter wrote this, guys, during what we'll call the Nero administration. Nero ordered Christians filleted, attached to poles, lit on fire for his garden parties, sewn up in animal skins to be torn apart by his wild dogs for his entertainment. And Peter says, submit yourselves to every ordinance. That is, every order-keeping office. And unbelievably, he starts with Nero. See, part of this is compounded by, I think, and if you've been around a while, I think you would, you would agree. Um, we've been trained, I'd say, maybe for the last 40 years or so. Definitely implicitly, but often explicitly, we have been trained to question authority. To assume the guy above you is wrong, and if he is wrong, call him an idiot or a moron. Question his abilities, mock him if necessary. We've been trained to say, verbally or non-verbally, to anyone in leadership. As a society, we've been trained to say, look, you have to earn my respect. You have to earn my submission. It's not what the Bible says. And it's not what Peter says here. And it's not what Jesus modeled. Even in his uh, most vehement arguments with the Pharisees, right? Jesus was not one to mince words. We know that. But even there, didn't he say, look, do what these guys say. But don't be who they are. Do what they say because they are appointed above you. But don't be like them. Peter has just said, look, let your conduct, your conversation be so honorable. Let your lips, your lifestyle be so winsome that when, not if, when they speak evil against you. That their consciences have no chance to ratify that slander, but instead must rail against the slander they've just spoken against you. And he goes immediately into the political arena. And people say the Bible's not relevant today. Listen, when the world speaks against you, and they will, not if, but when, homophobe, self-righteous, bigot, I mean Christian, when the world says those things, does your conduct and your conversation, do your lips 
and your lifestyle allow their conscience to ratify those words or must their conscience rail against that slander that's come out of their mouths? Are you one, since Peter's gone to Medlin, I guess I will too. Are you one who just a year or two ago rightly demanded respect for our commander in chief, if for no other reason than for the office? But now you're giving something less than that. Please, please don't misunderstand. Again, it's trickier because a lot of you guys just walked in the room you're like, oh, it's a flaming liberal. No, no. <laughs> Just stick around. You'll you'll see. (laughs) This is not a call to support everything the government does. Or to keep quiet about what the government is doing wrong. Our founding fathers gave us the unique right, so precious, so rare in all of history, to, to vote people in and out of office, to speak the truth even when it's unpopular, to stand up for what's right, to defend the unborn, to defend our nation against immorality. All of that is true. None of that becomes untrue because of this text. But listen, Peter makes it very clear to me. We, of all people, are supposed to understand submission and respect. Peter says to them and to us, you are citizens of heaven. You are an ambassador for Christ. Be a model citizen in this temporary home. America, Mount Dora, Leesburg. Verse 13 says, therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. We're going to emphasize that in a little bit. Whether to the king of supreme or to governors as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. If you're familiar with Romans 13, that should remind you a lot of that. Turn, turn there with me. Romans chapter 13. The text just is amazing how much it echoes and, and parallels what Peter's saying here. This is just so you know that Peter didn't just make this up. He's not the lone ranger on this. And I'm not just making this up. This was written also to the Romans. Right. Chapter 13. Look at verse one. Says, let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Implicit in there, right, is as you submit or fail to submit, you are submitting or not submitting to God because he's the one who kind of worked it all out. Right. Verse two. Therefore, whoever resists the authority, resists the ordinance, excuse me. Let's try that again. Therefore, whoever resists the authority, resists the ordinance that is ordered appointments of God. And those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good and you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the, the sword in vain. For he is God's minister, as hard as that is to believe, an avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Don't raise your hand to this, given the frame that I've set here. But are you unhappy with the current government? Last, last time somebody did raise your hand. Um, 
Here's the reason I didn't want you to. Because if you're unhappy with the government, if we're unhappy with the government, there's at least two reasons that we can be pointing back at ourselves. Either you voted them in or you were not winsome enough to persuade others to vote for godly men. All authorities are appointed, it says, by God, ultimately, right? At the end of the day, God still knows what he's doing. God could be, I think he is, disciplining us right now through the authorities that he allows and that we collectively have voted in. But please, please notice the goodness of God. Both passages, 1 Peter 2 and Romans 13, indicate that the government, the authority is, believe it or not, a gift from God to keep order, to keep from chaos. Back in our text, that's, uh, again, the, the government, city, state, local officials, all of them are, have been, in one sense at least, ordained by God. Maybe perhaps like, like the Old Testament kings that kept uh, beating the stuffings out of Israel. Right? Go back to verse 14 in our text. He says, look, these guys are appointed to punish evildoers and for the praising of those who do good. Now, some of you are like, well, that's a problem. They, they do it all backwards. They punish those who are good and they praise those who do evil. I agree. But that's the exact same situation that Peter was, was speaking to, right? It's like, how do you win? How do you win some as citizens? Number one, submit yourself to authority. And number two, here comes silence your accusers. <laughs> and you guys are like, all right, now we're talking. <laughs> Verse 15 says there's a way to silence your adversary, your accuser. Actually, the word to put to silence there actually means to muzzle. It's even better. It says, look, there's a way you can put a muzzle on ignorant and foolish men. Sweet. I get to shut up my adversaries. And Peter calls them ignorant and foolish men. Okay. Now, again, I asked this first service and uh, it's kind of tricky the way I've set it up. But I'll go ahead and put my, my hand up. Is there anybody here who enjoys a good political debate? Okay. That is, hopefully, a civil, respectful, spirited debate, right? We have that right. We have that uh, luxury here in America. I'm not sure that really I'm even politically inclined. I'm really not, but I do like to argue. So that's, that's why I raised my hand. Listen, if you, enjoy, if you enjoy that kind of thing, is there no sweeter moment then when you make that one argument and the other guy's got nothing. Like you might say, uh, oh, yeah, well, your mother dresses you funny. Put to silence. I put him to silence. <clears throat> Listen, you guys, Peter is not denying us that joy. But he says, look. Here's how I would say that you should do it. There's a different method to silence. Your adversary, look at verse 15, for this is the will of God that by doing good, you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. Doing good is 
agatha poes. Hope I said that right. Two, two root words. Agathos is um, good, pleasant, agreeable, joyful, happy. And po- poes is uh, the, from the word we get poema, which means to uh, craft something. What he's talking about is kind of a work of art, right? That beautiful work of art that you do. He says that's what will silence your opponent. Here's how you muzzle the ignorance of foolish men. It's by your winsome conduct. Our good, agreeable, pleasant, joyful life. Okay. I'm going to try something here. Let me speak to you Republicans. Okay, uh, if you're a Democrat, don't don't cover your ears because that will give you away. Just, Just don't listen. Okay, just Republicans listening, right? Look, we both know the other side's foolish, ignorant men, right? <laughs> Look, they, they, they say you're homophobes, right? They say you're bigots. They say you're not loving. Don't you want to just shut them up? Here's how you do it. Living a righteous, honorable, winsome life. Okay, now you Democrats. All you Republicans, close your ears. Democrats only, right? You guys know how ignorant those guys are, right? right? I mean, they say you're they say you're looking for the government to bail you out of everything. They say you're not righteous. Don't you want to shut them up? Live a righteous, holy, winsome life. Now let's get rid of the politics altogether. Woo! Um, just Christian. You really want to shut them up? Live a winsome, holy, righteous life. And unfortunately, that means to be submissive to authority when you can. And we'll talk about sometimes when you can. Winsome behavior then as a citizen is to submit to authority. And, and by that word, when I got there, I just wrote down the word Ravi Zacharias. How many of you guys know who he is? You should by now if you've been around because I talk about him all the time. Here's a guy who goes into colleges. He represents the gospel, goes into colleges. Let me let me rephrase that. He goes into colleges and represents the gospel. Against people who are so different in their thinking. Every single time he is so respectful. He will the, the typical way it goes, if you listen to I listen to his podcast and stuff, he'll say, uh, my esteemed colleague from so and so and uh, the books that he's written, a tremendous mind. And then he will go and just slay him with logic. <laughs> but the whole time, it's truly respectful. It's not like, you know, I'm kidding so that I can slay you. No, that's that's who he is. He's respectful in the way that he argues. And you no one has no one can pull the card and say, well, he's. You know, he's rude or disrespectful. Nobody can do that with this guy. Winsome behavior as a citizen is to submit to authority, to silence your adversaries by doing good. And number three, remember that you are slaves of God. Now, perhaps so far this morning, you are not yet moved by my arguments, by, I would say, the Bible's arguments. Or maybe you're moved toward the door. Perhaps you're saying, look, I I can talk all I want about the president. 
about our officials. Because it's true. And besides that, it's still a free country. Last time I checked. Well, interesting. Look at verse 16. Interesting that that follows. It says, as free, yet not using liberty as a cloak for a vice, but as bondservants of God. We're going to next time we we come back to this text, we're going to see. I've learned that over 50 percent crazy over 50 percent of the population in the Roman Empire was slaves. Over 50 percent estimates of about 60 million slaves across the Roman Empire. And Peter's going to speak directly to them in a little bit. But I want you to remember something here. Christianity was radical. In its views of slaves and women. Galatians 3.28 says there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. That was radical back then. The, the, the rest of the culture was saying slaves, they're just property. Women, they're just property. This was radical view here. But Peter says to this nation, many of whom are slaves. Guys, you are free in Christ. You have been elevated to a status you've never known before on this earth. He says, but don't use that freedom as a cloak or a cover to to cover your wrong attitude or your actions. Today, the command is the same. Listen, Christian, don't you be the one, please, saying, look, I'll do what I want. I'll say what I want. I'll resist authority. It's a free country. Listen, Peter says you're a slave. Don't say those things are even worse. Look, I'll live an immoral life. I'll be unsubmissive. I'll live a life that's pleasing to me because I'm free in Christ. Or I'm free in Christ so I can slander, I can gossip, I can objectify, I can degrade whomever I want. No, Peter says you may be free as a citizen of the United States. You may be even free. You used to be a slave. But here's the thing. You are a slave of God. This has all sorts of tributaries we could go down. But the the idea is this. Christ did not set you free to sin. He set you free from sin. And the only reason you're free at all. The only reason I'm free at all is that Jesus purchased me. We are his property. We sang it just a few minutes ago. I hope you meant it. We are free in ways that we never should be. We're free and yet we are slaves of God. That's the only way to true freedom is to you're going to be a slave of somebody, right? And, and it's crazy, but as I begin to figure that out in in this text, you're going to see, I'm going to show you real quick, that concept, the slave of God doing only what he wants, is woven throughout these verses. Look at it. Verse 13 says, therefore, submit yourself to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. He who owns you, that what what the word Lord means, right? Owner, I, I owe everything to him for the Lord's sake. You do this. You submit yourself to every ordinance of man, whether to the king supreme, right? That's the idea. When you submit, even to someone as bad as Nero, when you can, you are really submitting to the Lord. Romans 13. Now, here's the thing. We know, I hope you know, 
But there are exceptions. There are times when those two kingdoms collide. And when they do, the choice is easy. It should be very easy. You submit to the king of kings. When the earthly king is telling you something to do directly that goes against what your heavenly king has told you, it's an easy decision. But let's continue on this this slave of God theme. Look at verse 15. For this is the will of God. That means this is what pleases your master, slave, that by doing good, you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. I know I wish it said this pleases your master that by just laying into the guy, you'll silence him. But it doesn't say that by doing good, you silence the ignorance of foolish men. See, the picture is of God watching As people call you, and Peter's already warned us, it's going to happen. As they call you bigot, as they call you homophobe, as they call you Nazi. The picture is of God watching that whole thing play out. I've said it before, and this this will help you know, again, if you're new, (laughs) I don't think I'm a liberal. Is that I totally see the possibility, pray that it doesn't happen for my, my family's sake, for my kids' sake, but I totally see the possibility of me going to jail one day. Because I dared preach from the book of Romans, chapter one. John back there told me that it, I guess um, somebody has been spent time in jail up in Canada for doing just that. They're suing now people for daring to keep the actual literal meanings in the Bible. They're, somebody has sued Zondervan's for the same thing. Here's what I'm getting at, guys. If that goes down and I end up in jail. Peter says, look, if you win, if you live a winsome life. If your life contradicts the slander that they're going to say. Then your master, he who purchased you is well pleased. That's my goal. I hope that's your goal. Verse 16, as free, yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bond servants of God. Again, when the earthly government collides directly with your master's will, we must follow our master. For instance, you know, there's plenty of examples, but let me give you a couple that are so easy, very clear cut. If there ever comes a time when we cannot legally share the gospel. Well, didn't our master say, go and make disciples of all men. We must submit to our Heavenly King, preserving the, the living rights of the unborn. Yes, of course. But here's the thing. Even in those situations where we are so clearly right, I think we're still called to be respectful. Let me let me put it this way. As a Christian, mine, I think yours, your primary The message that you send out with your life and your conduct and your words, your primary message should not be this, in my opinion. I have my rights. No, it should be I have been purchased. And then in verse 17, we see it again. This idea that we are God's slaves were purchased. It says fear God. And we're going to talk about that in a little bit, too. The idea, again, is that we are bought with this amazing, precious blood of Jesus, right? This this high price. And he says, look, when it comes time to make the choice, the choice is easy. Fear God. You are his slave. Okay, here we go. 
If you want to be a winsome citizen, submit to earthly authority for heaven's sake. Number two, silence foolish and ignorant people by your good works. Number three, realize, understand and act accordingly that you are slaves of God. And then verse 17 is just an awesome, I think, nice and easy to remember summary. A lifestyle motto. It's the SOP for winsome citizens. It's our family memory verse. This one is easy to like, you know, sometimes they're like, wow, I don't even know if I can if I can even say that right. But this one, we all ought to be able to memorize. How cool would it be if we made this our motto? At least over the next week. Verse 17, honor all people. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Wait, what? Honor the king. Oh, there it is again. Mm. Honor all people. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the king. What's that? It's like about 11 words, I think. First, it says honor all people. The word honor means to value. To understand the inherent value that someone has just because they're living and breathing, just because they're created in God's image, that they have value, they have worth. It means to treat people with respect. That's what the word honor means. You know what the word all means? All. That means apparently that we're supposed to treat all people with respect. We're supposed to treat all of them as though they are valuable to God. Hmm. Let's see. That means that includes Democrats, Republicans. You guys, it includes homosexuals and adulterers and famous adulterers. All of them still have value to God. He's already given his son to purchase them if they'll just surrender. He has shown how valuable they are. The Bible says that he's not willing that any of them should perish. Are you? The word all includes the guy who took your parking spot in the rain on Christmas Eve. It includes all, everyone, sinners, saints, all of us. It says, honor all people. This is SOP. This is, should be standard operating procedure. This should be saints operating procedure. Honor all people. Number two, love the brotherhood. Now, we've talked about this so often that I think I'm just going to kind of conserve time here by just pointing you to one verse that we, we've seen over and over again. We were, went through the book of First John and it was just hopefully pounded into us in a good way. But John 13, the Gospel of John 13, verse 35, Jesus said on the night before he was betrayed, his parting words, by this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Okay, so when some behavior, honor all people, love each other. The brethren, agape love, right? But then there's these last two. Fear the God, excuse me, fear God and honor the king. Two very different words. The word fear there means, listen, absolute 
complete obedience out of reverence. Maybe the best way to describe this word, to define this word is to fear would mean worship in the form of obedience. It says worship God as by your obedience. He says that's what you do in regards to God. Now, what do you do in regards to the king? Respect him. Look, you need to treat the king, the president, your elected officials with respect because they're part of also that original all honor all people. Then you can vote them out. But respect them. Peter is saying, look, respect the king, but fear only God. Submit to the king when at all possible. Let that, let that be plan A. But listen, bow in absolute, complete obedience only to God. When the earthly king commands you directly to disobey, dishonor, he commands you to dishonor your heavenly king. The choice is easy. But listen again, even then, believe it or not, do it with respect. Once again, this all comes down to all Jesus solved this for us. So why would you waste 40 minutes of my life? No, Jesus solved this for us when they came to him and said, should we pay taxes or not? I mean, these guys, it's a cruel regime. These guys are just it's terrible. They've they've come and occupied our land. Should we pay taxes? They think they've got him trapped. He's like, hey, show me a coin. Okay, whose face is on there? Caesar. Okay, render unto Caesar that which is Caesar's, but render unto God that which is God's. And if you go back through the Old Testament, you know, I guess what we're describing is civil disobedience, but in a respectful way. Right. And again, I think we're headed there. I really do. Personally. You go back through the Old Testament and you look and you see Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. King says, you're going to bow down. I'm going to throw you in the fire. They say, Daniel 3, verse 17 and 18. Look, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king. Notice they didn't say, you jerk. Unrighteous fool. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. And what happened? They honored the king. They feared only God. They submitted even to the point of danger. And the king ended up going, you know, there's something about your God. Hmm. What about Daniel? The same thing. He was respectful. If you go through and you look at the, the words that he says, the way that he behaved, was respectful at all time. He honored the king, but he feared only God. Just this morning, I think this was a personal gift to me in my time with the Lord. I didn't wasn't planning this reading about Joseph. Once again, a guy who seems like you can't win for losing at first when you're looking at the middle of the story. This guy's been in prison for years. He's finally called up to interpret a dream. And it's his chance to shine, to be winsome. I mean, some of us, myself included, wouldn't you 
possibly be tempted to go, oh, now you want my help? I don't think so. Flaky Pharaoh. No, he just served Pharaoh the same way he was serving all men. Right? He was in a habit of just serving people in the name, in submission to the Lord. And this is what blew me away this morning. Never would have known this. This was totally God, I think. Pharaoh gave Joseph a name. You know what it was? Zaphnath Paneah. Know what it means? No, me neither. Um, well, I do now. It means God speaks and he lives. So Joseph, by his respectful behavior, but not willing to submit to that, which uh, which was uh, the, the earthly king called to him. All of those things, it ends up that this man says, hey, here's a guy I'm going to name him. Wow, God's really alive. Huh? God really speaks. See, tell me that's not exactly what Peter's calling us to. Right? Exactly that. Verse 12, 1 Peter verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 12. Having your conduct so honorable among the, the Gentiles, the unbelievers, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they observe, glorify, shine the spotlight on, <clears throat> admit that God, they admit they uh, glorify God in the day of visitation. You could do a whole study, I think, on how Joseph lived by verse 17, that it was like his SOP. Right? He honored men, even those that were in jail with him. He loved the brotherhood, even though his brothers didn't love him. He feared only God, but he honored the king. Let's do one thing as we close here. I want you guys to be aware of or to think, put some thought into this. Are you not amazed? I am that this is the same Peter. I mean, what was what was Peter's previous position on government and authority? Wasn't it to slice the ear off of the the servant of the high priest? His response to authority back in that day was to take his sword and to whack off as much of the enemy as he possibly could. But here he's talking a whole different thing. The power of submission. And I've used this illustration before, but it seems particularly helpful now, I think. How often are we like the old Peter? We slash and we cut and we cut off the ears of those we're trying to reach. Counterproductive, right? How am I going to hear the gospel if I have no ears? But here, Peter instead has now graduated to understanding the power of submission and how much more powerful it makes when you can no longer submit because your heavenly king has called you to something else. So my question, I guess, this morning is how many of us are willing to graduate from sloppy swordsmanship that hinders the gospel to the power of submission? A beautiful life, a beautiful, winsome life that invites the gospel. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. Lord, we submit to you. It's what you've called us to do. Even when it's difficult. Even when it's unpopular. 
even when it's costly. You've purchased us. You have ownership rights over me and over everyone here who's given their life to you. Ask, Lord, that you just continue to speak to us. You'd help us to make good decisions that you are well pleased with. Help us, Lord, to honor you in what we say and do and think, especially over these next few minutes. But, Lord, I pray that if if we need changing, you would change us for good. Lord, the time is short. Take us from those who cut off years to those who understand the power of submission that you model. Help us to get it. I'm, I'm amazed that you brought so many here this morning. I'm wondering if this is a message you wanted out. Lord, we love you. Thank you. Now, Lord, help us as we seek to apply your message in your word. This never changing. It's always been here. Help us, Lord, to not conform the, the word to our lives, but the other way around. To conform our lives to your precious, unchanging word. In Jesus' name, amen.